everybody come up to his level of understanding. Now, there were mysteries, and he, he, he clearly said that. There's mysteries. There's things uh, that if you don't want to know it, you won't find out. Jesus ministered the word in such a way that if you wanted to know it, and you sought him, and you sought it out, you could understand it. That's why he was always saying the kingdom of heaven is like. Like what? Like things that they had, like a field. Because he's talking to a bunch of farmers. Like a dragnet, because he's talking to a bunch of fishermen. Like a lost coin. Like a pearl of great price. Like a city. Like a, uh, he, he was always referring to the kingdom of God as something that was identifiable to them. And so this doesn't have to be intimidating. And um, I know you're here because you love the word of God. You, there's no other reason why you would come out on a Wednesday night uh, and, and just hang out. Um, but I know that you value God's word and you value what you receive out of God's word. And so I believe that the scriptures will be opened up to you tonight. Um, turn with me to Ephesians. Actually, I want to start here. You can turn to Ephesians. You keep going there. But I've got another verse that I want to open up with, and that's Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. So if you'll put that up on the screen, and you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. But Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says this, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, that doesn't sound real exciting on a Wednesday night. You're... Great, you brought me all the way out here to tell me how I get destroyed. But when you realize what can destroy you, then you know how to combat it. Then you know how to come against it. You know, sometimes we lose battles because we don't know what we're fighting. We don't know how to fight back. But he says that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. Rejected knowledge. We don't want to be people that reject knowledge. Okay? God has given us way too much and has done way too much for us to be able to know and understand the scripture to turn around and reject it. Now, I know that sounds silly. Why would you reject it? But this is why you would reject it, because knowledge brings responsibility. (laughs) Information always brings responsibility. Everybody wants to know everything. But not everybody can handle knowing Everything. Amen. Not everybody can handle information and handle the responsibility that comes with the information. I deal with this a lot as a pastor. In fact, um, my wife and I yesterday were in Atlanta in a uh, uh, pastor's leadership roundtable conference thing. And um, that was one thing that they hit on was, you know, as a pastor, you always come into stuff that maybe you don't always want to know. But you have to know how to handle it and you have to know how to keep it to yourself and within the proper groupings. Uh, Pastor Earl um, instilled in all of us, in, in his staff and, and pastors and you know all of us that were on staff, um, th- the value of information. And on top of that, the value of the people, the people's lives that the information is connected to. And he would always say this statement, it's about people's lives. It's about people's lives. And, and sometimes in church, we, we think that we need to know why something happened. But sometimes we don't. And sometimes after you found out the information, you would realize, 
I wish I didn't know that now. I wish I didn't know that. But knowledge brings responsibility. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So that tells us if we want to overcome, if we want to be victorious, we need to know some stuff. I believe that's the one of the number one issues with the church today. Um, and, and not that the church has issues. Um, but I, I think one of the things that can be dangerous is the fact that we want to know so little sometimes. We're all right with just being saved and knowing that there's eternity in heaven somewhere one day. But there's more to know. And if we knew more, we could act on more and we could be victorious in more opportunities. I know one pastor uh, said this, he said uh, about his congregation, that anything that I refuse to minister to you on, any area that I refuse to cover, is an area I can expect my church to suffer in. Um, You know, I'm not one to shy away from anything if it's in the Bible, but there are some subjects that can be tough to preach. (laughs) Sometimes it can be hard to tell people what to do with their money. Sometimes it can be hard to tell people how to raise their kids or uh, how to treat your spouse. Okay, Uh, but the Bible covers all those things. God had a lot to say about money. God had a lot to say about raising your children. God had a lot to say about marriages. And so as a pastor, we have a responsibility Uh, sometimes we wish we didn't, but we have the responsibility to communicate all of it, not just half of it or some of it. Paul even said, I, I, I'm glad that I did not withhold any truth from you. Why? Because the more that I can get you knowledgeable in, the more victory you can see in your life. But at the same time, that knowledge now, uh, comes with the responsibility of what you know is funny because Pastor Earl, the last time he was here, had a 16-disc series on kingdom economics. Did anybody in this room get that series? All right. Biles. Brent and Lisa Biles. All right. Well, it was funny because I was laughing. Um, I was on the front row. You may have seen me. You may not. I was kind of chuckling to myself because Pastor was talking about how awesome the series is and, and it will change your life. And I was thinking, that person doesn't know. The second you listen to those CDs, you're now responsible for what you hear. Yeah, we all want to turn in our finances. We want to change. But then you find out how God talks about finances. (laughs) Kingdom economics changes some stuff. It's a little bit different because, see, Jesus didn't come in a democracy. He didn't show up in a republic. Amen. He showed up in a kingdom. And kingdoms operate differently in a kingdom The king owns everything. I don't know if you knew that or not. If you live over in England, you own nothing. You don't own your land. You don't own your house. You own nothing. It all belongs to the queen. And so whatever she determines she needs to do with it, you do with it. So in kingdom economics, all that you've worked all so hard, all week long, can't wait to get that paycheck. I put overtime in, time and a half. I worked hard for that. And then God says, yeah, I need you to give that away. I need you to put that here. I need you to sow this here. What? Yeah, it belongs to me. You're just the steward now. You're holding on to my stuff, and you've now become a conduit. You've become the the vessel that I'm going to use to 
operate through the kingdom. But he gave this promise, seek first the kingdom and all these things. See, the exciting thing about a kingdom is the king in a right kingdom, in a righteous kingdom, the king always has your best interests at heart. He doesn't tell you to give something up to make you weak. See, man messed it all up. Man started building kingdoms. That's why God never intended for man to rule over man. He said, dominate and subdue the earth and all the things that creep on it, not men. Man was not designed to rule over man, but man wanted a king. And so God as a king, though the righteous king and the right king, he has your best interest at heart. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that God has our best interests at heart? So if he says, give this up, put this here, go there with that, uh, add this here. He's only waiting to get something greater to you. That's awesome. So I don't know how we got on that. Kingdom economics came, comes with responsibility. Knowledge comes with responsibility. Amen. I'm trying to smile more because they got the camera in my face and they every every service they tell me. Every service they tell me, you had an angry face on today. Hey, man, I, I can't help that. I can't help that. It was tough working for Pastor Earl for the first several years because Pastor Earl, he's got one of those composures. His mind will be com- somewhere completely different and his face carries it. To be walking down the aisle, he'd be, you know, have that stern face on. It's like, what'd I do? Oh, sorry, I was thinking about something else. Probably money. As a pastor now, I know, yep, it was money. You started thinking about last week's tithe and offering is, oh, yeah, that's that face. <laughs> Amen. So I got the camera in my face. So I put some smiles on. So when you go home and see Instagram and Facebook and all that, you see Pastor Mark smiling, just excited. <laughs> I'm a happy pastor, I promise. I'm happy. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1. So knowledge. Knowledge is so key. And in Ephesians, Ephesians is actually split up into two sections. Ephesians is a phenomenal book. In in fact, uh, Brother Hagin said this. He said, if you had to pick a book that was the most foundational to a believer, had, had the most resource to the new believer... It would be the book of Ephesians out of all 66 books. The book of Ephesians tell you tells you who's you are, who you are, whose you are, uh, what belongs to you. It tells you both who you belong to and who you are. I mean, we'll see it here in a minute. It identifies so much when, when, when people ask me, man, you know, I just, you know, have trouble reading the word. I, I just don't know where to start. Get in Ephesians. It's six chapters long. And then when you're done, just start all over again. It's that foundational of a book. And you cannot go through Ephesians without discovering more about yourself and coming out with a better identity of who I am, what belongs to me, and and how I can apply these things to my life. So Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 is who you are. But then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 tells you what to do. It's split up. The, The first one is identification, and then the, the second half of it, four, five, and six, is application. In fact, if, if I'm not mistaken, Ephesians chapter 4, one of the first words in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, is the word therefore. And therefore is a very important word, giving you a little 
bit of Bible study, because this is Wednesday night Bible study. That word therefore is very key, because anything after the word therefore is application of what came before the word therefore. See, the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse like we see it today. That's just there so you can find something really quick. Because it'd be really hard with all of us and all of our different Bibles for me to say, now turn to page uh, 1,786. Well, one of you is going to be in Jonah. Someone else is going to be in Psalms. Depending if you got maybe one of those real large print Bibles, you're probably still in Genesis. Okay. Got one of those large amplified print Bibles. You're probably still all the way back reading about Joseph and stuff. So we'd be lost. So we have chapters and verses, but it wasn't written, though. It was written as a letter to churches, to believers. So there's no separation in the chapter. So if chapter four starts off with I, therefore, that tells me I need to go back and read what came before that. Now, we're not going to read all of that. Um, I, I do believe at some point, maybe even this year, I'll do a series on the book of Ephesians because it's that powerful and we can walk step by step through it. But I just want to start with Ephesians chapter one. And I, I know that maybe some of you have had a hard week and maybe a hard day. Um, I believe this is going to be one of the most encouraging words you've heard in a long time. Okay, I want this to be encouraging. I want you to walk out of here lifted up. You should always feel that way. Uh, Sometimes the word can beat you down a little bit before you get picked back up. But tonight's one of those uh, that look, this is what you have. This is who you belong to. This is who you are. So go live that. Amen. So look at verse one. Ephesians chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Isn't that interesting? An apostle of Jesus Christ. By the will of God. By the will of God. It's so good to know that you're in God's will. But yet that's one of the biggest questions that all believers have at some point in your life, if you're not confused with that right now. But Paul knew I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, that doesn't just go for five full ministers. Man, maybe I need to be a pastor so I can know God's will. No, you can know God's will as a stay at home mom. You can know God's will as a farmer, as a teacher, as a cement truck driver. Uh, You can know God's will in your area of service in the body of Christ as a children's worker, as a greeter, as an usher. You can be in God's will and it doesn't have to be. In fact, sometimes, uh, you know, I'm jealous of you guys. I envy you guys because you can find God's will in other ways where mine, it's almost like it's a given. Oh, yeah, you're in God's will. There are some pastors that are not in God's will. And that's not a good place to be. But Paul says here, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints is not a religious term. Saints is a uh, a state of position. It's who you are. It's not just uh, it, it describes what you're in and what should come from you. Saints are a holy people is what that word means. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here we go. It just he just hits the ground running. Verse three, blessed be the God and father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places. In Christ. Who has blessed us. Past tense. It's already been done. It already belongs to you. Now, spiritual blessings in heavenly places, uh, you know, we for too long have uh, taken that because, again, knowledge brings responsibility. So if I don't want the responsibility of this, the spiritual blessings now, then it's easy for me to believe that that's in heaven waiting for me. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's speaking of right now. That the spiritual blessings belong to you. Now, what are spiritual blessings? That's simply resources, rights, and privileges of heaven. And when I was studying this out, I was thinking of what should I title the message? Because really, I'm just going to read to you parts of Ephesians 1. Because it's just so encouraging and just so uplifting. But I was going to title it Rights and Privileges. Uh, Because those are two words that not a lot of Christians associate with the lifestyle of a believer. Rights and privileges. We, we really feel more attacked than we do attacking. We, we feel more on the defense than on the offense. We feel more like we're waiting for something instead of something waiting on us. You see the difference? And so he says that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. All spiritual blessings. So we have all the resource of heaven. We have the rights and privileges of heaven. Now, what does that mean? Let's keep going. Verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just have to put up with you? But he chose you. He didn't just choose you before you messed up. He chose you before you ever existed. He chose you before the foundations of the world. I mean, that's very significant when he chose you. See, I remember as a kid, um, I I started new schools a lot. I went to, I I think I counted one day, it was like eight different schools. I was in private schools all my life. And for the first eight years of my life, my dad was active military. And so we moved quite a bit. Uh, And then after that, um, we moved a lot within. Once we moved to Fort Worth, we lived in like three different houses within Fort Worth and different school zones and stuff like that and went to different schools. Um, And I was a cool kid. I, I would like to say I was a cool kid. My pictures would not emulate that. So we won't talk about my pictures, Um, but I I, I was a funny guy once I got out of my shell, once people got to know me. But the first day of school was always rough. And when you're getting picked for teams, uh, because I was, you know, two feet shorter than anybody else and weighed half of what anybody else did, um, you don't really get picked for a whole lot until they realized that I had some skills. One thing that I was just always really good at. Uh, was baseball. And so when we played any kind of uh, kickball or baseball or anything like that in PE or recess or whatever, um, I just I was always really good with high and uh, high 
hand-eye coordinate. I can't say it as well as I can do it. Okay? It's one of those circle things. Hand-eye coordination. I was always really good with that. Um, But once people realized that I had an ability in the area, uh, day two was a little bit easier than day one. So I got chose based upon what I had to prove. But here, God chose you before you ever proved anything. That's pretty exciting. He chose you before the foundation of the world. Before you messed up, he already chose you. And then he still kept you. He still hung on to you. And he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. That what? We should be holy and without blame before him in love. Without blame. Yeah, we're breaking this down tonight. Without blame. He's not blaming you for anything. It'd be real easy. See, I know what some of you want to do when you get to heaven. The first guy you want to run down is Adam and Eve. You want to go find them. You want to say, what was wrong with you? You messed this whole thing up. But God's not even doing that. God's not even blaming them for ruining the entire plan that he had. But he chose us in him that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5, having predestined us. To adoption as sons by, Je- by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It was according to his good pleasure to choose you in Christ. That means it pleased the Father. It pleased the Father that you would be what? Sons. Now, that's another word that we just don't take into we, we don't get the full glimpse of. Do you realize you're not just serving the king? You're in the family of the king. You know what they call sons and daughters of kings? Princes and princesses? That's royalty. I mean, right now, you're seated next to royalty. You didn't even know that. You didn't even. Yeah. And so we got some husbands and wives in here like, what? Royalty? Royalty won't take out the trash. (laughs) No wonder they won't change a diaper. He thinks he's a prince. You're seated next to royalty. Sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Jesus is a king. God the Father is king in heaven, and you are in the family. You are royal offspring, chosen, predestined by adoption. See, adoption is almost better than having blood children. Oh, I got to keep you. You're my child. I I gave birth to you. But adoption means I went out and handpicked you chose you and brought you into the family and gave you all the same rights and privileges as the one that has my own blood. That's amazing. Verse 6, To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. No longer should we walk around feeling unaccepted. No longer should you walk around. From this night forward, you should not walk around trying to get God to accept you. That's past tense. He made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches 
of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now watch this, verse 9. We saw Paul knew that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God in verse 1. Look at verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. The will that was once a mystery. The will of God, which was uh, once what everyone walked around wanting to know and trying to understand and trying to comprehend. Now he says, I have made known to you the mystery of his will. God's will should no longer be a mystery to you. He wants you to know, because look at the next statement, according to his good pleasure. That means if you're walking around not knowing God's will, he's not pleased. He gets pleasure when you find out his will, because now you can live out the very reason why you were placed here. Which he purposed in himself, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather into one, into one, not separate, not several, not a few, into one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Did you know you have an inheritance? Did you know that you have a right to something that belongs to you? See, inheritance is a funny thing because it can be left to you, but unless you know about it, you can't access it. Wouldn't that be terrible to find out that you had, you know, some long lost family member that left you something, left you millions of dollars? And here we are struggling day to day, just trying to make it week to week and find out that we've had this account in our name the entire time. And we just couldn't access it because of knowledge, because we just didn't know. But here we have an inheritance, he says. We have obtained. Notice all this is past tense. This is all past tense. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. These first 14 verses right here identify who you are, whose you are, who you belong to. And what belongs to you as a result of being belong, of belonging to Jesus? Who you are, whose you are, and what belongs to you. Rights and privileges. We are in a kingdom. We are in a kingdom. And we are 
in a royal family. The royal family doesn't have to work for anything. The royal, the royal family doesn't have to beg for anything. The royal family is never denied access to anything. We have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You may have heard me talk about that before, that the spiritual blessings, they're in heavenly places. But that's not doing me any earthly good. (laughs) I'm in this realm. They're in an unseen realm, and I need them in the seen realm. They're in the spirit realm, and I'm in the natural realm, the physical realm, the tangible realm that God placed me in by his will, according to his will, according to his good pleasure. I have all the rights and privileges of a king and of a king's son and of a king's daughter right now, today. But they're in a different realm. And the way that you access that is by faith. Faith doesn't create things. Faith moves things. See, you don't have a need. There's nothing that you need. (laughs) You don't need a new car. You don't need a, a new job. You don't need a pay raise. You don't need more money in the bank. You don't need this or need that. You have everything at your disposal. The determining factor is, do I have the faith that will move it from the unseen realm to the seen realm? You don't need healing. It's already been provided for. It's already available. I just need to move it from the unseen realm into my seen body. But Jesus died on that cross and he took stripes on his back, not only for your spiritual healing, but your physical healing as well. And it's accessible by faith. It's already been given to you and you have a right to it. You have a right to it. You don't have to beg God for healing. You don't have to beg him to heal you. You don't have to get on your hands and knees and wallow in pain and just say, oh, why? Oh, when? If? Those words should not even be in the vocabulary. Now we just make a demand on what's already available to us in heavenly places. It belongs to you. We have rights and privileges as believers, as children of the king. There's nothing that can be withheld from you. Whatever it is, if it's joy, if you need joy in your life, it's yours. It's yours. But now, see, this knowledge is what's been destroying us. We haven't been reading this and understanding what these words mean. We haven't been reading this and actively applying them. Look, it's not the word that you hear that saves you. It's the word that you live. There's all kinds of people that hear the word. There's all kinds of people that hear the word, but do nothing with it. We've got to be people that do something with what we hear. 
I'm not going to take the time to read it, but in the rest of this chapter, Paul prays a prayer from 15 through 23. He prays a prayer. And several times he mentions spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding that you will comprehend with all the saints. That you will know spiritual knowledge. Because here's the key. You could read that all you want, but unless it gets revealed to you in your spirit, you'll never understand it. And what you don't understand, you can't apply. What you don't understand, you can't apply. See, the devil doesn't care if you hear the word. He starts getting a little shaky when you start to understand the word. Because once you understand it, the next step is applying it. When you understand that you are a son of God. When you understand that you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. When you start to understand those things, why wouldn't you apply that? Brings responsibility, absolutely. Because now, now I'm accountable for knowing this. Now I'm responsible for knowing that that thing that I've been begging for and screaming at God about, he's actually already given to me. Now I'm accountable for that. Now I'm responsible to do something with that. But if the devil can keep you in a position where you don't understand And don't comprehend. See, that's why this prayer that Paul prays. And notice he's praying this for the church. I mean, he started out in chapter 1 saying to the saints. Who are in Ephesus. To the saints who are in Ephesus. To the church. To the body of Christ. To those that are saved. To those that already have access to all this. Now let me let you in on something. Let me, let me let you know what the mystery of his will is. Amen. Because now when I know this, there's nothing that can stop me. And so he prays and he says, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, not the knowledge of you. It's not determined by what you can comprehend and your natural ability to understand something. It's spiritual wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of him. Revelation. See, what happened in the garden was up until Genesis 3. Adam and Eve only operated by revelation. God communicated by revealing things. But after the fall, man moved from revelation to information. It was all head knowledge and no longer heart knowledge. It just became about how much can I accumulate in my brain rather than how much can I comprehend what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to me. And God is trying to get us back to heart knowledge. God is trying to get us back. Paul prayed this prayer for a reason. He understood, look, everything that I've told you up to verse 
15. If you don't have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, you won't comprehend it. You won't understand it. And we see that today. The majority of the church doesn't live the way 1 through 14 states that we should be living. The church isn't living like they have access to every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. The church isn't living like they are sons and daughters of the God who created this universe, the King. They're not living like royalty. It's because of knowledge and comprehension. But man, if we could get a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That means somebody's got to turn the light on. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened to know what? The exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Amen. This is an encouraging message because this lets us know there's more to this lifestyle of a believer than I've been accessing. There's so much more. You can gain knowledge for the rest of your life and still not know it all. But it's real hard for me to listen to people that say stuff like, well, his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our Sure they are. But Paul said here, you need to know those ways and you need to know those thoughts and you need to get hooked up with the Holy Spirit that will reveal it and enlighten you and give you revelation in what it is. You know, we were designed to think and act and talk like God from the very beginning. Adam was designed to think this way. Information came in. The deceiver came in. The liar came in. The father of lies came in. See, the only thing he can do is take this book and then just revert it, reverse it on you. He perverts everything. The, the next time you hear the devil lie to you, you need to get excited. Because the very opposite of what he just said is really what's about to happen. <laughs> Because he's a liar. Your kids are never going to make it. Thank you for telling me my kids are going to make it. Oh, they're never that that long lost family member never is going to come to see the Lord. Thank you for letting me know that one day they are going to come to Jesus. You're 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 never going to get out of this financial depression. Thank you for telling me that one day I'm going to have more than enough. Because that's all he can do is twist the truth. You realize every lie is embedded in truth. You can't tell a lie until you know the truth about it. You can't lie about something unless there's already a truth. It has to be truth first. Then you can twist it into a lie. And that's what he's done is he's twisted all this. Everything that Paul, that's why he said, look, You've got to get hooked up with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, all you'll do is spend the rest of your life believing lies. And Jesus called him the what? The Holy Spirit? The Spirit of truth. There's truth out there. And we've got to know it. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want a people that is destroyed for a lack of knowledge. I don't want to be a people that uh, isn't overcoming in life because I don't know something. I don't want to be a people that doesn't operate in something and activate something in my life because I haven't figured it out yet. All I know is I want to spend the rest of my life trying to know, trying to comprehend, trying to understand and receive revelation on who God has told me I am, who he's told me I belong to, and what he tells me belongs to me. That's why I value this so much. And I don't have to be in a, in a podium, behind a podium holding a microphone to do it. There's some of you in this room, I've sat down right here on the front row on a Tuesday afternoon and done the same thing. What? Get you to comprehend and understand. There's something different than where you're living. There's something different than what you're doing. There's a truth that's opposite the lie that you're living. When you come to know truth and you come to see it activated and appropriated in your own life, it just makes you want to get other people to know it all the more. If I had to say there's one job description that fits what I do, it's revealing truth and helping people know the truth. Because this world is so full of lies. There's so many lies. But the kingdom answers all of them. The kingdom answers all of them. The word of God answers all of me. It says over in Psalms that your word is true. Your word is true. Jesus told his uh, told the Father when he was praying in John chapter 17, I have given them your word. You think about that. Of all the things that Jesus did with his disciples in three and a half years, the one thing that he went to his Father and said, I have done it. I gave him your word. Not showed him how to do signs and miracles. I showed him that cool little walking on water trick. I didn't teach him how to be nice to people. I didn't teach him how to have power over demons. I gave them your word. The word of God. So Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Your word that sets us free because you said if we would come to know the truth, the truth would set us free. And you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And Father, you sent your son Jesus as the word in flesh. John chapter 1, you said that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But then you said that you took your word and you wrapped it in flesh. And he dwelt among us. So Father, we value your word. We value to know your word. We value to understand your word. Father, we don't want to just be hearers. We want to be doers of the word. What we read tonight was just a glimpse into everything that you have for us. Was just a a picture, the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that you have designed us for, created us for, 
May we not walk around believing the lies of the world. I'll take it even further. May we not walk around believing the lies of even other Christians that haven't taken the time to know your word. But may we take the time to know your word, get in your word, study your word. Because that knowledge will set us free. That knowledge will cause us to be victorious. That knowledge will cause us to overcome. The word that we hear is to be understood. The word that's understood is to be applied. And the word that's applied is to help reveal truth to someone else. Father, we thank you for all the promises, all the privileges, all the rights, all the resources that you have given us in Christ Jesus. Today, that's who we are. That's what we have. That's what belongs to us. No one can deny us. No one can hold anything back. And we thank you that your promises are true. Yes and amen. Forever and ever. We thank you for that word tonight. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I want to do this real quick. Chuck, if you wouldn't mind, I want to hold off on the offer real quick. If you would grab this box.